Last week we started with Colossians 2 and we realized that Paul was talking about the heresies that were seeping into the church. Uh, that has happened since then. It is still happening today, so this letter still has relevance to us. And we noted that in chapter 1 his response was, keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and our finisher of our faith. And as such, all these heresies that he was addressing will fall away. Now, it's true that we only have Paul's responses. People had come to Paul and said, Paul, there's a problem here. They had sent him letters, perhaps. And so we don't quite know what they are. But from reading chapter 2, and we'll read the second half in a few minutes, we see this. They were worshipping angels. But there are still churches that do that today. Uh, oh, no, no, we don't worship them. They just bring us messages of hope and peace and love, and, and therefore we thank them. Uh, they observe, there are churches still today that observe Old Testament law. Now, I'm glad that none of you brought a goat to church, although I'm sure some of you have heard goats speak in church, but that's a different issue. But we're not under the law of Moses. We have freedom to do some of it, but it doesn't get us brownie points, as some claim. It is Jesus who saved us and who keeps us saved. Whether I keep the feast or not makes no difference. It helps me understand the Old Testament. It helps me understand the ministry of Christ. But I am not required to do so. Paul addresses the Greek philosophical arguments and he calls them empty philosophies. He's not saying don't seek knowledge, don't seek wisdom. But if it replaces Christ as head of the church, it is an empty philosophy. He addresses the secret knowledge groups, those who have more wisdom, who come up today still and say, yeah, that simplistic gospel is nice for you, but let me share with you a secret. Something that only you and I will now perceive. Back then it was very obvious, and today they do this by the new revelations that they get, that extra deep insight. But the insight remains the same. It is the same old paths that God set out from before to today. The simple gospel message was always saved by faith through grace, Abraham was saved by faith. So are we. The rule of life may have changed, but the message of the good news remains the same. He addresses false wisdom. Uh, they claim to have true wisdom that was different than what Paul had revealed. It is not the mysteries that are truly being revealed by these Gnostic teachers the mystery is that Messiah is in us, and we are in Messiah, and because of him we have unity with one another. But these Gnostic teachers were saying, no, no, only if you come into our secret meetings and do these secret handshakes and these secret things, then you will. And the answer would be no. Gnostic Christianity in a few later years is really developed. Here it's at its infancy stage. 
And one of the things that they seem to deny is the full deity of Messiah. That's why Paul in chapter 1 makes such a big deal out of it. And in verse 9, in chapter 2, verse 9, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And so he makes no bones about it. But these Gnostics were saying, well, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels, so he must have been not God. In other words, God came upon him at his baptism and then left again. But Paul is saying to us, that's not true. And a study of the Old Testament on the Messiah will make it clear that he is the God-man. Gnosticism was an empty philosophy that was wrong. And that's what he deals with primarily in verses 1 to 10. And we dealt with that, so we, we will not go over that again. But in verse 11 onwards to 17, he deals with what some people call Jewish legalism. I don't like that term. Uh, I have found that there are legalists that are Jews and there are legalists that are Gentiles. And the only thing that they have in common is that they are legalists. It doesn't matter what they come from, whether they say you must keep this, you must keep that. It makes no difference. The freedom that we have in Christ is being denied. That's the point. Whether they do that in a Jewish way, well, that's, that's clear, that's wrong. Or whether they do it in a Gentile way. In verses 18 to 19, he talks about that mysticism is wrong. There is true mysticism in Scripture. There are things that we will not know because the secret things belong to the Lord. And the things that he has revealed, and that's his word, that belongs to us. That's why we study this. Then at the end, in verses 20 to 23, he deals with asceticism, saying this too is wrong. It's not about how much self-denial you do, if you don't have him as your head, it is pointless. Now before I read verses 11 onwards, let me take one more verse, and that's verse 8. And he says, see to it that no one takes you captive, that no one kidnaps you. In other words, they had a choice in this. They had a choice to say, hey, that tickles my ear. I think I'll go and listen to that and, and I'll become captive to it and captivated by those teachers. And he says, no, these worldly principles, these traditions of man, these elementary, even spiritual elements are flesh. The flesh manifest. They're the principles of the world rather than having Messiah as our head. Verse 11. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgression, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consistent 
of the degrees against us which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them and through them. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drinks or in respect to festival or new moon or Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the the substance belongs to Messiah. You are like me. You are circumcised. At Passover, under the law of Moses, it is a requirement to check that all the males were circumcised, and I'm so glad I don't have to do that. Because he's not talking about a physical circumcision. He's talking about a spiritual circumcision. You were circumcised in Christ, not in the flesh. Not like the covenant of Abraham in the flesh, Genesis 17. Or according to the law, Leviticus 12, verse 3. But this is according to a different method. We are indeed circumcised, all of us. Otherwise, we are not part of the body of Messiah. But it's a spiritual circumcision. And even the Old Testament saints had to submit to two circumcisions. The flesh and the heart. We see that consistently in Deuteronomy. We see it twice, Deuteronomy 16, sorry, chapter 10, verse 16, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, but also in Jeremiah 4.4, Jeremiah 9.25, Ezekiel 44. And so there is a lot of references there. Let's look at the ones from the the law, Deuteronomy 16.10. And the Lord will circumcise your heart. They didn't do it. The Lord had to do it. And what would be the point? That they would live. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, circumcise yourselves, remove your foreskins from your heart. There is a response with us. So it is God who's doing it, and we are who are presenting it. Because if we don't present our heart to the Lord, then He cannot. If we choose to walk in our own ways, it cannot happen. From Jeremiah, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are uncircumcised, those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. You see, it isn't about Jewishness anymore then. And that's what Paul brings out in Ephesians in chapter 2, saying Jew and Gentile are one in Messiah. But in the book of Ezekiel, which is talking primarily in chapter 44, he talks about the millennial kingdom stage. He says, there will be those who submitted foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and in flesh, to be in my sanctuary. They will profane my temple when they offer food. So what is it that must happen? In verse 9, therefore, thus says the Lord, no foreigner, no uncircumcised in heart and in flesh, all foreigners who are amongst my people, shall enter the sanctuary. There too he will circumcise. And so now we need to start with that heart. We need to make sure that our heart is putting off the flesh, putting off the sin nature, and being circumcised in him. 
How do we do that? Well, by putting away the flesh, by crucifying our old man. Now, that's not your dad, man. Be careful here. We don't circumcise just, but we also crucify. We go further than that. We put ourselves to death. That's uncomfortable. But it is at that point that we are no longer in bondage to sin, Romans 6, 6. You see, the old man is corrupt, and that's the reality within me, and it needs to be put to death. None of us like that. We like the old man. It is comfortable. It is easy. But that's what we need to do. He continues in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. That means that we've been put to death. Not just circumcised, but put to death. Therefore, we are buried with him. If we are not buried with him, we cannot be raised with him. And if there's no resurrection life in us, then all that we do is flesh. It's as simple as that. That's not true biblical thought. The believer's baptism back in the days of Jesus was that the baptizer stood on the side of the river and that he who wanted to be baptized went into the river by himself. It isn't that the elders of the congregation grabbed him by the throat and dunked him. No, that would be murder. You had to put yourself under. You had to be buried yourself and then come up. That's the point. In Romans 6, verses 3 to 5, he makes that same kind of statement. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Messiah Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of God, that we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we are united with him in death like this, we shall also be united with him in resurrection like this. You and I will both have charismatic friends who always talk about power, power, power. But resurrection power in our life can only come if we have died. And it's that balance you know, we don't want to be like Thomas, oh, let's die. You know, let, let's, no. But we need to die to ourselves so that resurrection power can come. It is then that the Lord will circumcise us and he will raise us up. That's the point that Paul is making. He will raise us up, as Ephesians 2 says, and have us seated with him in heavenly places. It is then that we are assigned to be with him. But it needs to be first by putting to death. In verse 14, he mentioned that there was a record of debt, a certificate of debt that was being blotted out. What is that record of debt that is against us? Well, it's the handwritten ordinances. It is as if God is sitting in heaven and has a book with our names on it. The book of life, but also a book of death where we are written in and all our deeds and God says I will blot them out 
if you are in the book of life, if you are with him. Uh, those things that were hostile were then nailed to the cross. And so the cancellation of our debt wasn't because of what we did in keeping or in not keeping, in fasting or in not fasting. It is by what Christ has done for us. His death expunged our guilt and expunged our, or the degree that is against us. Therefore, in the circumcision of our heart is much power. Our spiritual life starts at that point and our sins have been forgiven. Even the debt that we owe has been paid and our spiritual enemies, they have been disarmed. So the, the things that we have wronged, even against God, cannot be used against us. Therefore, we should not allow those things that are sometimes whispered in our ear. Oh, I remember that sin. Because that's not from God. For there is no condemnation for those that are in Messiah Jesus. And therefore, when we hear these principalities and rulers and authorities speak... We must come back saying, but the debt is forgiven. Therefore, no one is to act as a judge. Not only are spiritual powers and authorities removed in our life, but no one is to act as a judge against us. Oh, but, but you don't fast. That's terrible. You should fast. It's the day of atonement after all. I've been told that a number of times. But Paul says questions about food and drink, uh, feast days and fast days, moons and Sabbaths. Uh, these are not necessary. There's a whole new group that has come in the last 30 years into the body of Messiah, and the worldwide body, that are stating you must. And I'm saying no. You are free, but you mustn't. You are free to observe the Sabbath if you want to. And what does that mean? Stay home and rest. Don't drive to your congregation because that's work. Um, what is it that we all do on a Friday or Saturday morning? We all get there and that's not commanded. You see, even when we think we keep it, we're actually breaking it. And so even in that, it is when you think about it, we're just sinning. It is terrible. But these legalists who are coming in, and they are Jews and Gentiles, are, are part of the Hebrew roots movement. And it's exciting because they, they will bring you back to the Hebrew roots. And there's, there's some good stuff in it. But there's also some really bad stuff in it. And some of them do deny the exclusivity of Jesus. And so we've got to be very careful when we listen. But these are but a shadow of things to come. The reality is in Messiah himself. Uh, he uh, mentions fasting. In the Old Testament, how many times does it mention fasting in the law? Well, it's implied, implied once in the book of Leviticus in chapter 23, verses 27 to 32, which is that Day of Atonement section. Uh, 
you shall deny yourself. Now that's implied, but it doesn't say it. The rabbis have five rules for that day that that must be done and includes fasting. But it doesn't say it. By the time we come to Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 19, Zechariah says there are four fasts and the Day of Atonement is then one of them. And there are some others for the, the fall of the Jerusalem temple and some others. And so in a space of about a thousand years, they went from zero to four, or one implied, I should say, to four. By the time we come some 500 years forward to the time of the New Testament, how many fast days do you think there were? Would it shock you if I would say it's 104? That's a bit shocking, isn't it? Uh, the, the, it, it says in Luke 18, verse 12, that the, the Pharisees fasted twice a week uh, on Mondays and Thursdays because in those days God had done something special. So you wanted to make sure that everybody knew you were fasting and therefore you didn't anoint yourself, you didn't wash yourself, and you didn't eat any food. It's okay to fast, and if you feel free to, go for it. And if you want to, I probably should too, but well, thanks for that, Richard. <laughs> it's okay to do so, and freedom we have. But do we have to fast 104 days? Do we even have to fast four days? There isn't a law for us. So if God speaks to you and says fast, absolutely go for it. If he speaks to you from that passage, but it's not a law, it's not a requirement. These people also worshipped angels. One of the prayers that they say is of, O angels of mercy, ministers of the Most High, entreat us now to the face of God for good. And they've overstepped that boundary where they now worship them. It's a terrible shame that we see this now coming in with that Hebrew roots movement. It is a false humility saying, oh, but we're better because we keep the, the biblical feast. Well, we are free to do so. We have a freedom. But worshiping the angels, uh, doing these things like circumcision and fasting and feasting and having these particular days, it is not a requirement. Because what is their ultimate problem? Let no one defraud you of your price, verse 18. Delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. What is it that it leads to? Our loss of our head. I don't recommend this, but in, when you cut the head of a chicken, what happens? The chicken just runs around. If we are without our head as a body of Christ, what are we? We are just like that chicken. We will do whatever we can to run everywhere, but it is foolishness. If we do all those things and lose our head, 
It is about him. We've fallen error without him. We've fallen the error of seeing angels as mediators, as intercessors, and they are not. Because in chapter 1, who was Jesus? He was the creator. He was before all time, and in him all things are held together. He, therefore, is the Lord of the angels. And if we remove him, we become like a headless chicken. And we are held together. Uh, in the King James, it says we are knit together. I, I like that. We, we are knitted together. When you think of a jumper, you take one stitch out, and slowly but surely that whole comes apart. If we are not together, we will fall apart. Christians can be apart for a short time. It's not an issue. Uh, if you're on holidays for a couple of weeks, it's okay. But if we are apart for extended periods of time, sooner or later, we will fall in certain areas. And this is the reason why we stay together, because we are knit together as one body. He then describes it as a human body with ligaments and and all of those kind of things. And it just helps us being stuck together, because without the ligaments, without the bones, without the muscles, we cannot move. And it is about all of us together. If we disown the body, sorry, if we disown the Messiah, we're a dead corpse. If we don't come together and feed on one another, being knit together, and so as we did today in both the celebration of the breaking of the bread and in the word and in the singing, then our body becomes wasted. It becomes like a skeleton. It will not hold together. It is then that these spiritual teachers that come in can make us fall. In verses 20, he then goes on. If you have died with Messiah to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to degrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to the things predestined to perish, reduce, in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body that are of no value against the fleshly indulgence. Hmm. It's interesting, on the one hand he says, feast, on the other hand, he says, deny. You see, false teaching comes from Satan. And what is his aim? Remove the head, split the body. And so if you fast, then you've got a feast. And if you're free, so do whatever you want and sin as much as you like, because we have grace to cover all things. And to you, I say, be legalistic in all things. You see, those things will split us up. What is it that unites us? It's the love of God that we find in Messiah. That's what unites us. And the more we focus on these kind of things, he says, we will lose it. We need to die to the elementary principles, he calls this. The program isn't about touching this or not touching that. That's about ritual purity and the, the Qumran community, the Dead Sea Scroll community, was huge in this. 
And it's interesting that much of this connects with that Qumran community. They worshipped angels, or they had a very high regard of angels as mediators. Uh, they were doing the law, and they were doing all of these kind of things. And he says no to all of this. The program isn't just about touching or not touching. It isn't about clean or unclean, or that which is forbidden by law, but not by law of Moses, but the traditions of men. What are the traditions of men? Well, to some degree, they are, in rabbinical writings, that would be the Mishnah, the Talmud. But each of us create our own traditions of men. This is what we do. We've always done it this way, therefore we do it this way. And that's why we sit in our seat and we wait for this song and we do. But that is not important, he says. It is not about this or that. Don't touch, don't do this. Because all of that is legalism. The antidote then and today is make sure you know who is the head. False teaching will come back and has come back. Today there are many cults around. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, Mormons, Unitarians, the Oneness Pentecostals. All of these have a few of God, but none of them are right. And so we must come back. Who is Jesus? There are many verses that clearly indicate this. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, Philippians uh, 2, verses 6 to 11, or in this book, Colossians chapter 1. Even people who are closer to us may still hold to other mediators and to having other voices give them revelation. One of them out of the emerging church said we should not fall into bibliolatry. That is, believing the Bible because that's idolatry. It is, it is mind-blowing when you think about that. The line that comes to mind is from the book of Judges, chapter 17, verse 6, or 21, 25. In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. In those days there is no head in the church, and every Christian can do just what he wants. It is the same thing. You see, the issue is who is Jesus? Once you sort that out, these issues that he describes here that they came up with fall away. He is God. He remains God and he is the antidote for us. Let me bring this to a conclusion. False teachers then plague the church and are still around because Satan still wants to break us from our head and break us and break the unity that we have. He wants to infect the church with false teaching. Indulge the body. Deny the body. Keep the Sabbath. Don't keep the Sabbath. Keep the Jewish feast. Don't keep them. Friends, whether we keep them or whether we don't keep them, whether we indulge or whether we do extreme self-denial, none of that ultimately matters. These are but shadows of things to come. 
The reality lies in Messiah. All these other things become, as Paul called it, empty philosophies. They have an appearance of wisdom, and it looks good, and it's tingling in the ears. But the reality is Christ. And so, folks, let's focus on who he is so that we don't indulge the flesh.